0: Take a minute to visit RachelCarmen.com and join the community of Real Refreshment listeners who are taking the dare to be in the word as a top priority in the journey of motherhood. All right, let's kick off this latest episode of the Real Refreshment Podcast. Here's your host, Rachel Carmen.
1: Hello again, moms. We are continuing our series about doubt. I hope that you were finding this maybe unexpectedly encouraging. I know that when I first started talking about doing a series on doubt, I had a couple of people going, Are you sure you want to do that? That sounds like kind of a downer. But I hope that as we have walked through these different teaching sessions and looked at these different people in the biblical narrative, that you've actually been encouraged, right? That these moments of doubt that you're probably experiencing, you're not alone. There are other people, notable people, faithful people who've had their moment and who've actually grown through it. We've looked at some great examples of people who progressed and maybe some not so great examples. And again, once again, we've not done an exhaustive study, but I hope, I hope that this has piqued your interest to perhaps do your own study and look at more people in the Bible who've had their moment of doubt. Because we all have moments of doubt. It's just part of living. That's just, it's just part of being human. So our first session, what we talked about was the definition of doubt. We talked about five different principal things that people often doubt about God. We looked at Eve and The people of Israel, we looked at Sarah and Jacob and the judges period, the people during that time. We also looked at Adam and Eve and the initial issue of doubt in the garden when the serpent came in and said, did God really say? Because what's so interesting about this whole issue of doubt is it's been a problem for a really long time, like since the beginning of time. This was the original attack Of the enemy was to plant seeds of doubt. And that's actually why I think it's such an important conversation. I don't think we talk about this enough. And I think a lot of us carry all this guilt because we're doubting and we don't know what to do with it. And so I hope through this series, you're learning what you can do, how you can respond better. In session two, we talked about the danger of doubt. We looked at Lot's wife and Job's wife, and we looked at my beloved uh, disciple Peter in the New Testament. We talked about the danger of doubting because it can mean you turn against God. It can mean you curse God. It can mean you go under, right? So we talked about the very real dangers of doubt in session two. Today, I want to look at doubt's dare, because here's something I know about doubt. Sometimes doubt comes about because of external life circumstances, things that you could not have predicted, would not have chosen, tragedies, circumstances, situations, decisions, and choices by other people, right, slam into you. You were going along, right, just going along, and you get slammed, broadsided, your day gets hijacked, right? And you get, you find yourself in a place of doubt because of these circumstances that you had absolutely no control over. That's one way we find ourselves in these moments. I kind of think that that's what happened to John the Baptist. Things were kind of humming along, right? He had a ministry, he was pointing people to Jesus He was, yes, he was on the fringe. He was the last of the Old Testament prophets, which is probably a discussion for another day. But he was very bold and very courageous. And then he finds himself in prison. Probably wasn't the way that John thought if you'd interviewed him that it was going to play out. Right. And yet that's where he ended up. But today I want to talk to you about a different situation, a different circumstance where we can also find ourselves in a moment of doubt, a moment of going, whoa, wait, what? And that is when I believe God asks us to do something that's similar to the circumstances we wouldn't have predicted, right? We didn't see it coming. And he actually extends his hand from heaven and says, So, yeah, I want to invite you to be a part of something I'm doing. And it's not anything you ever could have imagined. And so, today we're going to look at the life of Esther in the Old Testament and Mary in the New Testament. So, I think primarily, if not exclusively, most of Those of you who are over here at the membership site are moms. And so for this session today, I chose two women for us to look at as we consider doubts dare, because I really believe that God wants to grow us past doubt, out of doubt. I think he wants to grow us to the point in our sanctification, and our transformation into the image of his son, where he says, jump, and we say, how high, right? Where there's no hesitation on our part. There's no pause He speaks and we act. I know that that's what I want. I want God to speak to me through the power of his Holy Spirit, through promptings, through his word. And I just want to be the woman that just obeys enthusiastically, right? Not with a million questions and certainly not with more excuses, but just with a pure heart wanting to honor my king. So let's look at these two women and see what we can learn about how their life was going along. And what exactly did the God of the universe invite them to be a part of? And what was their response? Because I think we can really learn a lot from these two women. So you can read the entire story of of Esther in the book of Esther by the same name. That's right, in the Old Testament. And I'm just going to do the highlights here just to set the tone. And I'm just going to say... The story of Esther, I mean, they these stories don't come any better, right, than the story of Esther. So one notable thing about the book of Esther is the name of God is not in the entire book. So there is evidence of God and his sovereignty and his providence throughout the book, but his name does not appear anywhere in the original text. So that's notable. But as you read it, It's a great exercise to actually mark all of the clarity that you receive that God is at work. I mean, there are so many instances through this short, short book that God is moving. God is orchestrating. God is setting the stage for something remarkable. So do yourself a favor and go back and read the book of Esther and mark those incidents wherein it's clear that God's hand is at work, but just to give a short summary so that we can look at how this applies to doubts dare, apparently Esther was beautiful. She was raised by her, um, so she was Mordecai who raised her, sort of her stepfather. Um, Mordecai I mean, Esther was Mordecai's uncle's daughter, if you can follow that or draw that family tree. Apparently, both of Esther's parents had died. Mordecai had been exiled under Nebuchadnezzar, right? And so they're going along in their new life in a strange land. And Artaxerxes is now the king. Well, Artaxerxes had a queen named Vashti, and I won't go into the details, but she ends up exiled and suddenly, the king needs a new queen. And so, in short order, he holds a beauty contest to find his new queen. And Esther gets caught up in all of this, not of her own doing. It's just like there's a wide net cast, and apparently she was stunningly gorgeous. And she gets caught up, and she's brought in to be a part of this beauty contest. And so, they go through a 12-month preparation to go into the king so the king can decide and choose, if he would, a new queen. And through a series of events, obviously the favor of God and find those and note those when you read the book yourself, Esther becomes queen. It's quite remarkable. So at the point at which she becomes queen, Mordecai advises Esther. Now look, Just, you don't need to mention, there's no reason to mention that you're actually Jewish. So just, you know, just, that didn't have to come up, right? Not your calling card, not your first comment. You're just, you're in this position. Let's just see what happens, right? So she's the queen and things are going along. But, you know, every good story has a bad guy. And so the bad guy in this story is named Haman, And Haman decides that he wants to destroy all of the Jews. He wants to set a day. He decides to tell the king that, look, these people want to destroy you and your kingdom. They are a thorn in your side. And I vote we just kill them all. And the king, being somewhat foolish, right, and this is kind of, you could argue that, you know, getting rid of his queen so hastily and now believing Haman so hastily, he's not really the wisest individual, right? So, Haman says he wants to do this. The king says, whatever, do whatever you want. Here's my ring. Make it a thing. So, so he doesn't really, we don't get the idea that Artaxerxes is all in, that he really understands what Haman wants to do, but he is kind of a schmoozer Haman. And so, he gets the king to agree to this. Well, Mordecai, the stepfather of Esther, I hope you're hanging with me here, Mordecai, the stepdaughter of Esther, who's now queen, okay, Mordecai hears about Haman's evil plot and actually puts on sackcloth and ashes and out of the palace window, Esther spies Mordecai and he is in mourning and she's like, oh my goodness, what's going on? And so she sends word to him, and he sends word back to her, because like, right, nobody's supposed to know that they're connected, because P.S., she didn't tell anybody she was Jewish, right? And Mordecai tells Esther what's going on, and Haman has set this date and this plot, and Esther's like, oh, whoa, 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 oh, well, I can't go into the king. And Mordecai's like, no, look, you need to go into the king, because you got to stop this. You got to plead for your people. And Esther's like, I can't go into the king because you don't just go into the king. He has to call for me because if, if he doesn't call for me and I just go in, I could, it could be my throat. I, I can't do that. And Mordecai basically says, you know what? The Jews will be protected somehow, but who knows that this isn't the reason you're where you are. That's what Mordecai says. And this whole conversation between the two of them is back and forth between her servants and Mordecai. So it wasn't, it took a a matter of time. And at the point at which Mordecai calls out Esther and says, look, you're in that position for a reason, girlfriend. At that point, Esther, I mean, my goodness, she totally transforms. It totally gets her attention. And she's like, okay, okay. So she tells her people to please go and ask Mordecai to gather the Jews and to pray and to fast. And she tells Mordecai, again, through her servants, I will go into the king and if I perish, I perish. It's beautiful. I mean, she really, Mordecai has got a vision for what's going on. He sees this opportunity that this is why this Jewish woman is queen, He communicates it to Esther and Esther gets a vision for why she's there. And she sees this opportunity, right? To make the most of the position she's in. And she calls for prayer and fasting. So Mordecai does that. Esther does that. And Esther invites the king and Haman to a banquet. I mean, this is brilliant on her part, right? And so the king is like, of course we'll come to a banquet. And Haman just feels so arrogant and prideful because of all the people the queen has asked him to come and accompany her and the king at a banquet. And so Haman's all about that because Haman's all about Haman. So they go, and the first night they just enjoy dinner. And I don't know why we're not told why, but something in Esther was like, yeah, it's just not the right time. And so she asked the king at the end of the evening of the banquet says, so um, can we do this again tomorrow night? And the king's like, oh, sure, we can do this again tomorrow night. Haman, can you make it tomorrow night? And so the die is cast. And so Esther plans another banquet for another night, the very next night. And the very next night, at the end of the evening, when the king is like, okay, so we had a banquet last night. We had one this night. What can I do for you, Esther? Because he loved her so much. That's actually in the story that he really loved, Esther. And she stands up and she calls out Haman. And she says, my people, she reveals that she's Jewish. My people are set to be destroyed by that vile, wicked man, Haman. Esther, in this instance, is a beautiful example of someone, someone who defied doubt, who took God up and up on his dare to stand, right? She could have leaned into doubt, Right. Or she could stand and trust God. Remember her words, if I perish, I perish. And she chose to trust God with the outcome of her life. Now, you have to go back and read the whole story yourself. There were whole chunks that I left out. But I hope that it intrigues you to see that here, when she could have doubted, look, I didn't sign up for this. I mean, the queen gig was great, right? But go into the king, risk my throat. Are you kidding That was her moment, right? And she chose to trust God.
0: What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states.
1: Our second example, as promised, is Mary. This young virgin, right, betrothed to Joseph, who is met by an angel. And is invited to participate in the incarnation. Invited to participate in the incarnation to be the mother of God's son. It's so beautiful to me, the story laid out in Luke 1. Luke recounts how the angel came to Mary and how she's trying to make sense of it, right? How, oh my, well, so... How I'm a virgin. How's this going to happen? And the angel, very matter-of-factly, says you'll be overshadowed by the Holy Spirit and you'll be found to be with child. And in the end, Mary simply says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be unto me according to your word. Here again, Mary had the same choice that you and I have, the same choice that Esther had. Are we going to, in the moment of God's invitation? And the invitations into your life and my life probably gonna look different, right? So God may invite you to serve a meal to someone, or to make, take a mission trip, or to make a donation, or to walk across the street, right? There's no telling what God might ask you to do, maybe to have another child or to home educate your children. God is going to extend opportunities and invitations to you to do things that don't make sense. See, all too often, we're willing to obey. We're willing to follow, to go, to stand when it makes sense, when we can get our brain around it, right? When we can make a case for it, when we can plot it out, when we can add it up, when we can see exactly how this is going to end up. Look, I think there'd be a whole lot more of us that were willing to obey God if he would just rubber stamp a guarantee on everything he asks us to do. But he doesn't do that. He guarantees that our obedience always glorifies him and he guarantees that our obedience is always for our good, but he does not guarantee the outcome that you and I long for. Look, sometimes we're going to do exactly what God asks us to do and it's not going to play out too well. I think of Stephen in the New Testament when he stood to give a, a, a sermon very similar to the sermon that Peter stood and gave on the day of Pentecost. If you lay that beside Stephen's sermon, they're very, very similar. And Peter, thousands were baptized on the day of Pentecost. But Stephen, Stephen was stoned as a result of his obedience. Look. Look. Trusting God and obeying God is about trusting God and obeying God and therefore glorifying God. That's what it's about. The obedience is not about the outcome. The obedience is about honoring God and glorifying him by doing what he's asked you to do. So here's my question for today as we consider doubts dare. What is it in your life right now? Because I'm betting there's something that doesn't make sense that you know God's asking you to do, or maybe something he's asking you to stop doing and you really either don't want to do it or you don't want to stop doing it, but you know, that's what he's asking you to do. You're in the middle of doubts, dare. Are you going to dare to lean into doubting God? Doubting his love and his will for your life, his faithfulness, his goodness, his presence, his ability, his worthiness? Or are you going to choose to trust God when it doesn't make sense, when you don't know how it's going to play out? Look, we've got the story of Esther and of Mary, and we've got the end of the story, right? We know that, in fact, Esther didn't perish when she went into the king. In fact, the king agreed to come to two successive banquet nights that she planned. And we know that Mary carried the Christ child and gave birth to Jesus in Bethlehem in the most humble of circumstances. Can't you, like I, couldn't you argue for the fact that there would have been room in the inn? I mean, not the manger, not the stable right? And almost immediately after the birth, right? The shepherds come. This is the Christ child. Shepherds? Shepherds. I look at the story of Mary and there are more things that don't make sense than things that make sense. And yet I see a young girl who grows into a woman who time after time after time after time chose to trust God. I'm reminded of Mary at the wedding of Cana. Mary's waited 30 years for the affirmation that Jesus was indeed the Son of God. And at the wedding of Cana, when the wine ran out, we hear Mary's trust when she says to the servants, do Whatever he asks you to do. See, Mary trusted and she carried Jesus and gave birth to the Son of God. And she waited 30 years for affirmation that she knew what she knew, what she knew. And she communicated that trust to those servants that day when she said, Do whatever she, he says. I want to challenge you, Mom, what would your life look like? What would my life look like if we dared to do whatever he asked? What would our lives look like if even in those circumstances where it doesn't make sense, we leaned into the Almighty and trusted him? That's the invitation before us. No matter what the specifics are, the invitation is to trust and obey. Next time we'll have our last session in this series, and next time we're going to talk about Doubts, Defeat. I'll see you then.
0: Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you have a question or comment, we invite you to send it to info at rachelcarmen.com And while you're at Rachel's website, check out her wonderful resources, including the Word in Motion Bible Curriculum. We want to take a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the podcast. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you'll find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. Moms, more than ever, we really do need each other. We need to be challenged, and we need accountability in the Word. Thanks for joining us, and we'll catch you in the next episode of The Real Refreshment Podcast.